Uh, I'm excited to join you this morning and read uh, from one of my favorite books of the Bible, 1 Peter. Uh, This has been a book that I've studied with my students last spring, and I found to be a real encouragement during a very strange couple of years uh, as it is, you know, as, you know, we, we figure out what's next often. You know, what's, what comes next? You know, I'm uh, one of the, one of the hobbies I picked up um, throughout the years and really have gotten to practice a lot this year has been gardening. Uh, I like to plant a little vegetable. My backyard in Richmond does not provide for a, a robust orchard, so to speak. But uh, I can plant a few raised beds and, and garden a little bit. Uh, the problem is, as a transplant from the north, uh, there always comes this time in August where I don't want to be outside anymore in Richmond. Uh, the problem is that my garden doesn't just stay in stasis during that time. You know, while I'm inside and you know, in the air conditioning, my garden is still growing, still developing, uh, going wild, taking over the whole backyard. It's a, it's, it's a lesson that I think is, is relevant for us. You know, we, we, can often, we can often mistake the, the place where we are, the place that we were, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically, as the place that we will remain. But our hearts, like a garden, are not prone to stasis. You know, they grow wild or they grow cultivated. And I'm excited to read with you from 1 Peter here today and, and to talk about that a little bit. So let's turn in our, uh, in our Bibles. We are reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, the first 10 verses. Do you read along with me? So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer a spiritual sacrifices acceptable To God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, As we read from your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us. That it would open our ears to hear things new. That it would soften our hearts to receive your correction. To hear from your scripture what is good and to long for that which is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we look at this text, uh, 
I'm going to break, I'm going to do something revolutionary. I'm going to break it down into three parts for you. Um, I know that might be new and different uh, for you. Uh, so let's, uh, I, like, I like kind of forming it in, the, in questions. So I'm going to start with what are we consuming? Uh, then sort of in the middle, we're, we're hitting this central question, like, our, like my garden, what are we becoming? That brings us to kind of the central question of our age, right? Who am I? Who are we? So let's start with that first question. What are we consuming? You know, we look at the beginning of this passage and you see a list. You know, you see this list of put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, you read a list like that. can very much sound like a to-do list. You know, it can sound like, hey, get these, get these things out of your life. But I think what really illuminates what we're supposed to do with this list comes in the next verse. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that my, may it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I would encourage us to look at the beginning of this passage, not as, you know, hey, put away these things from your actions, but put away these things that you are consuming, that you are taking in, that you were feeding on. Be aware that what you are taking in matters. What you digest matters. Well, we have that expression, you are what you eat. You know, I had an old student, and I, I used to do, before college ministry, I did high school ministry, and I had a young man named PJ come up to me one day. He, he, he's like, I need to get lunch with you. And we got a sit-down lunch. He's like, I have something important I want to talk to you about. Okay. We get down to lunch. He's like, Pete, I'm becoming a vegan. And it's like, I'm not sure that this necessitated a whole lunch conversation, but okay. And with many high school students, I expected, okay, this is an interesting, you know, he's processing through some stuff, like what his responsibilities are. I'll, I'll be interested to see how long this goes. But what was remarkable is as he committed to this new diet, was watching how his body and how his, how his whole demeanor changed as he started eating healthier foods and being conscious about what he took in he grew fitter he grew more alert you could see the change of his consumption just on his face and in his body what we consume really matters so let's look at this list look at this list of what we're taking in that we should be putting away. Look at all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. If you think deeply on that, I bet you can find the times in your life where you have been consuming those. Frankly, you could rename a lot of our social media companies after these. You know, eh, how much of us, how much of our, our scroll through the internet is in search of people to envy you know, how often do we stay up arguing with people who are wrong on the internet? You know, filled with hatred in our hearts. We post things that make our lives look more glamorous and better than they are. We are actively in trying to deceive and present a false front to the world. We've given over hours and hours, days, years of our lives to these things. We consume it 
and we produce it. In contrast to that, our, our spiritual formation, maybe our quiet time, you know, if you add up the hours of our time in prayer and our time in the word, our time in community and fellowship, how much does it pale in comparison? You know, to, go, to return to the food analogy, it's like eating a, a junk food diet and having one salad at the end of the week and saying, that'll take care of it. That should, that should, the fiber will push everything down. It's all right now. What we consume fuels what we desire. I don't think that that's a, a, a wild statement to say. My wife is a runner. You know, she likes uh, to run marathons. That sounds crazy to me. I did one with her. It was the worst day of my life. Uh, but as she's preparing for a long training run the next day, what she consumes the day before is a pretty good indicator of, of, what, you know, of whether she's going to wake up eager and desirous to do the good, hard running work that she needs to do. And it also goes the other way around. When, when you start to see that link, if you desire to be, you know, my wife is trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon and run this, you know, three hour and 20 minute marathon. That's a fast marathon, by the way. That's how many hours she wants to be running. Um, I know. She's not watching. It's okay. <laughs> she knows. She's trained, she's trained to run with me. Uh, because she desires that, she desires, she then also wants to fuel that desire well. It goes both ways. What we consume fuels our desire. And if we have a hope for something, if we have a desire and we understand the connection between those two things, it will start to change what we want to consume. Once you see the link between those two things, once you see how they are married together, First Peter is not shy in telling us the hope that we have. One of the reasons I love this book is it puts the gospel first. Because you were rescued from your sin by the work of Jesus Christ. These things are available to you. We have this hope in front of us. You know, we see it in this, in, this, in this spiritual milk passage that you may grow up to salvation. We have this hope, this promise of something better, of a better new creation. With that desire, shouldn't we desire to consume that which builds us up into it, which begin, which brings us, we, we, have to, we have to then go to the second question. What are we becoming? What are we heading towards? What is our future? What is our goal? As we look here, we have this analogy of a building that Peter gives us. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That last phrase is really important for us. What we are being built into will not fail. 
the hope that we have, the hope that we place in that cornerstone in Jesus will not fail us. We are being built into something precious. We are chosen and precious in the sight of God and we are being built into something acceptable to God. A spiritual house to offer living sacrifice. This is beautiful language. What we are being built into together is something beautiful. The end result is something honorable and good. You know, I mentioned, you know, race fitness there. You know, I, my, my wife is, is keen on reaching a certain level of race fitness to be able to, to run this race. She sees an end and a goal that, that is good. You know, this qualification time. And because of that, it motivates and drives her to build her body, to build her habits, to build her work towards that goal. Your goal might be something very, you might have very different goals. You know, you might kind of smaller goals that you can relate to. But, but say, say for instance, we examined my life by my wife's goal. <laughs> We examined, you know, that, that, that race fitness timing by my behavior. Well, it doesn't make sense. It's not that my race, once again, my race fitness is not static. It's going a direction. It is not going a positive direction. It is going a direction where I am keenly aware of all the things that hurt on my body. Our goal matters to evaluate what's happening in our habits, in our life. And you might even say, looking at this passage, as we try and examine you know, what we are becoming, what our hope is, what our goal is, Peter would even take that from goal and to say, what is our foundation? What we're becoming depends, you know, what we desire to build, what we, de- what, what we hope to see built in us, in our church. Because once again, these are plural use. I think that's a struggle we often have. We're an individualistic society. There are some positives to that. But one of the negatives is when sometimes we can read in this purely about ourselves. What are we as a church becoming? What are... What is hope of Christ as a community growing into? Well, just like our goal can shape that, so too can the foundation that's laid underneath of it. You know, if you write this plans for this beautiful house that you want to build, and, the found, and there's no place to lay a good foundation, you're not going to build that beautiful house. It will not stand. You, build a poor, you lay a poor foundation, it, it will not stand. What we are becoming depends on the foundation of Christ. It depends on the cornerstone 
a cornerstone that will not put us to shame. This is absolutely essential for us to hear again and again. We, just as we, just as we swim in a cultural sea, as we spend our time on, you know, be it social media networks or any other places, even just listening to news, where you soak in these traits that we are told to put away, so too do we swim amongst us. And working with college students, I see this particularly. So I'm going to see that, that rests our own self in the, in the spot of the cornerstone, like self-actualization, self-realization. Basically, self-centeredness as the cornerstone to build your life upon. And Peter here is reminding us that while you are a chosen and precious stone, you are one stone among many being built into something, into something beautiful. You are not the cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone. And upon that, but you're being laid well and snugly next, you know, like a master builder built next to the other stones. We are one stone among many. We are one stone among many. And that's really, as we think upon that, that question of what are we becoming? What am I? What is this community growing into? We need to have an awareness of where we fit in in the scheme. We need to come to that, that next question of who are we? Who are we really? I love this last, I'll start at the beginning of the passage as I, as I go back through this. Peter makes this beautiful declaration in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our definitional quality as a people, as this holy priesthood, is that we have been called by the mercy of Jesus Christ. That is our defining quality of our peoplehood. You know, I'm someone who has quite a fondness uh, for personality tests, your Myers-Briggs, uh, your disc profiles, a little bit of Enneagram, but not as much. I think that there is in, in some of that a, a desire, you know, to answer some of this question. You know, who am I? What am I good at? How do I know myself and know who I am? And in these profiles, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll answer all these questions and it'll spit out a bunch of letters or a number or something like that. Like, oh, I'm an INTJ, so that, that I can plug this in. Oh, and don't, people shouldn't talk to me this way. And you get your little list of attributes. And if you've ever done it with a group of people, you'll start to see that they get very defensive of their own attributes and start to be like, well, I don't know, this is the right way of being. 
But the disappointment uh, that comes from these, even if you've used it to seek out your little tribe of people who think like you or work like you, I think there's an inevitable disappointment at the end of that road when it comes to the the fact that all these outward descriptions of us are self-generated. If I wanted to be in a different quadrant of the disc profile, I can just answer those questions differently. I can just make it up. In searching for something that, that says who I am, I'm relying on my own honesty or maybe my own humility (laughs) to answer those questions correctly. And if you do enough of them, you you do enough of these tests, you do enough of them, you, you start to realize, man, maybe I'm not the best person to tell you who I am. Have you ever had someone who knew you really well describe you? You know, maybe a spouse, maybe a best friend, and they've maybe introduced you to someone or you just heard them, you know, telling someone else about you. And they say things about you that they make you feel seen and known. It's powerful in a way that sometimes this little self journey can never really get to. We're often looking for, we're often looking to define ourselves based on our gifts, our qualities, our abilities, something we can compare to other people, something that we can uh, boast about, something that we can take some security in. To say, I'm, I've looked through this list, I'm good enough. I'm good. Oh, if you just knew me, like this, yeah, this version of this me, that's good enough. I like that person. But oftentimes we are just, even just describing the external circumstances. You know, well, you grew up in a good school that taught you to write well. Writing well isn't some definitional quality of you. And instead, counter to that, we can look at this passage in Peter and say, here, here, let me tell you who you are. You're someone who is precious to God. You were chosen by him. And how you know that's true is that you have received mercy. Your definitional quality is that God loved you at the cost of the suffering and death of his own son. That value does not come from within yourself, but it's been staked permanently to you by the most high God. important for us to hear that. Because what we believe to be true about ourselves, we're going to proclaim. 
we're going, our lives are going, no matter, no matter what we might think of ourselves, our lives, or what we might try and convince ourselves, our lives will proclaim what we actually believe to be true. The choices that we make, the life that we live, you know, the things we choose over another thing, that proclaims what is important to us and what we believe to be true about ourselves and about the world. You know, we, we often, we, you can see so readily in people their desire to proclaim what they think makes them superior to other people, attempting by comparison to make themselves appear righteous. So much of our language is in, you know, of, of building ourselves up is in comparison to other people. And if, and if we believe that that is the way in which we are secure, by winning this competition of life, by being ourselves worthy on our own merit, our lives will proclaim it in how we view the hurting, those in need, those who've hurt us. And it will also, it will also show itself in how we encounter the cornerstone, the foundation that is Jesus. We have this line in 1 Peter here, this this text that he has pulled out the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. If Christ's mercy, if the work of Jesus on the cross, if that is who shapes and defines our lives and our personhood, where we belong to, It's incompatible with a comparative, competitive self-definition. And if you think that you are good enough, if you think that you are better, if you think that, you know, frankly, I've done pretty well. The declaration that you needed the Son of God to die for you would become offensive to you bit by bit by bit. I don't know. Because you might say, I don't know. I think I'm pretty good. And we can see that not just as individuals, but as a community as well. If our community starts to value those things, and if we start to to instead of following the shaping and the molding of Jesus, embrace the shaping and the molding of this world, we'll start to glorify and hold up and lift up those people who out-compete and out-compare. We'll encourage ourselves to to push down those things that that, that might seem in need of repentance. We'll ignore the cross. 
So what do we do with this? What do we do? You know, what, is, what is the application of this? What does it mean to acknowledge, like truly acknowledge, that our only hope is in the work that Jesus has already done and, and is doing in us? What does, that, what does that mean for us to do? You know, how, do we, how do we live that out? You know, what does it mean, as Peter says, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into glorious light? I want to proclaim that. How do I do it? I think too often uh, we, we can fall into the trap of just translating Jesus into the same language we already use. That be di- like you individually, be different for Jesus. Here are these five ways in which you can do it. Check them off and you're good. You know, we can seek to do those same accomplishment based. We can try and shape ourselves, make it about ourselves. What does it look like to really, as a community, as a people, reflect the mercy that we have received? What does it look like for our desire to change? And like in that running metaphor, when, when our desire, when our hope has changed, see, our habits change with it. I think we need to go back to the beginning of the passage. I think Peter leads here with his application. Knowing what you know, knowing what is good, what do you want to take in? What do you want to fuel a walk with Jesus with? You know, I, I, do, I do this thing with college students a lot where I, where I talk about, you know, I talk about the traits of Jesus. You know, the, the personality, the, the lived experience of like seeing who Jesus was. Because I think a lot of times on the surface, we're like, I don't, like, it seems really hard to imitate Christ. And it is. But I think sometimes we also think, "Mm, I don't know. The world's ways seem a little bit better to me still in my heart. But I like sometimes to look at these lists and and, and imagine what what the other choice is. The choice with the goal, with the desire of embracing the salvation that we've received of embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this, like malice, having malice in our heart. There's no, what if we embrace blessing, deceit, or honesty, hypocrisy, or integrity, envy, or patience and contentment, slander, or kindness? I think when we, when we just are on, when, when we look at those lists and we look at one list versus the other list, there's an obviously better list. What Christ has rescued us into, the salvation that he has for us, is demonstrably better. It's beautiful. If somebody modeled those things in your community, if, if a community modeled those things, it would be recognizably beautiful. 
And to say that we as a community should practice these traits is not an empty idealism. It's not like, oh, we should form one of those like 70s style, like, you know, communes. It'll all, we'll all do our equal, you know, that's based on like, everybody will do what's right if you just let them. No. We know, we know, we have been promised by Christ himself that our helper, the Holy Spirit, is at work in us, powerful to change us. We know that the ongoing salvation that is happening inside of us, the ongoing shaping of the master builder is powerful to work these things out in us, us as individuals and us as a community. Our desire for change, our desire for a life that imitates our Savior is backed by the power of God. It's backed by the throne of heaven. It's backed by the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and in our communities. We are promised that when we gather together, the Holy Spirit is with us. Not maybe with us. Is there, is present and at work. So as a community, I would encourage you. I'll leave you with this. I don't want to go over my time. I know we faithfully serve in multiple in this building. I'll say this. As a community, let us encourage each other and build each other up in what we are taking in. Let's be accountable for each other. Let us embrace that the answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper, is yes. and care about what we take in in this world, of being available to replace the false fellowship, the online space with real fellowship, to respond to words tinted with envy and hypocrisy, say, I don't think that that's healthy for you, brother. I don't, sister, I don't think that that is a healthy way. To encourage each other up in the good. To be available for each other, to love each other. And to reflect out to Stafford, a community that really truly believes that it only exists because of the grace that it has received. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is... It is so easy to believe the lies that we are told on a daily basis. That we as individuals must fight and strive and claw. Lord, help us to rest and rest surely in the knowledge that you are our hope. that you have promised us our future, that it is secure. As we sang earlier, that we are, that, that the glorious saints above, though they sing with more joy, we are no less secure than they are. Lord, help us to rejoice in that as a community, to love each other with the confidence that we are here together for your purpose, that you have pulled us together. 
to be shaped and molded together as a community, to bless the place that you have put us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.